Welcome back to the Metal Nerdery. The Black Sabbath Show. Yes. I wish we could start this with, like, thunder and lightning and bells and stuff. It just feels like it needs it. I'm sure we could. Probably, but because of copyright laws. It just wouldn't be... trying to be cautious. <laughs> it wouldn't be their thunder and lightning or their bell. Matt well, doesn't like Sabbath at all. Yeah, I can't stand yeah, Sabbath. They're only the, uh, the beginning of heavy metal is everyone knows it. Yeah, man, it was Led Zeppelin. They were doing it before. Shut up. This is Metal Nerdery. It's Metal Nerdery. Y'all listening to Metal Nerdery. Oh my god, I can't believe it. It's fucking Metal Nerdery. Hi, this is Millie Petrosa, and you're listening to Bill, Adam, and Matt. This is fake obvious, Osborne. <laughs> and you're listening to Metal Nerdery. <laughs> No, Black Sabbath was metal. Led Zeppelin was like cock rock, but Black Sabbath was the beginning of what we know and love as true heavy metal. Especially, like, just all the components, everything. But that first album is... if I have to say this. If you're a fan of any kind of metal and you do not have the first Black Sabbath album, or really the first six, yeah, you need to turn over your metal card. You are no longer part of the metal community. You have been shunned. Because that first album is, I think everybody needs to have that first Black Sabbath. Even more so than Paranoid. Well, to the me, first like, album was the beginning. Right. Yeah, but it's just so, everything about it, like the extended suites and like the, I mean, I think they did it, they recorded like, what, eight days? Not even eight, it was three days. I think. Yeah, it was one day. Was it one day? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think they were saying later, like, yeah, we got to relax and take like three <laughs> days to record. I'm like, wow. I think wow. they thought it was going to be two days. It might be a different record, but I think they thought it was going to be two days. And it's actually one day to record and one day to mix. Something about it just that's one of those albums I think that is magic front to back and it's in it I can't get sick of it. I've literally listened to it. I would say at least once a month I listen to it in its entirety just yeah. because well, I mean the way they recorded albums back then was <clears throat> totally different. Yeah, true. But and never mind the fact that I mean, for those of you who don't know, Tony Iommi actually had two of his fingertips shaved off in a industrial accident which ultimately led to the Tony Iommi sound. So that caused the down-tuning of guitars and you know that kind of stuff. But, but that actually played a part in that first album because the whole warning, that whole guitar solo section, apparently there were like two parts, and I think they went back and included both those extended suites, but that was almost sort of like a, you know, the fact that he made it through that accident and kind of recuperated and built those thimbles for his fingers. So it was like that was like a triumph. For him to, I mean, if you listen to that album knowing in retrospect what happened to him, it's like, holy shit, man, how did you do that? I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's inspirational for sure, but it's definitely mind-blowing. But yeah, that out. it starts with, that is the hell of an album. Can you imagine what people thought on February 13th, 1970, the day that was released, and they open up the gatefold of the album, and they see a great big upside-down cross, and songs like, Who is it? They thought this is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> well, they probably did think it was going to be fucking awesome, but then they were probably also like, I think these guys worship the devil. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, back then. Uh, but, you know. I just know my mom's told me stories about parties her and my dad used to go to, and there was like this, it's like the way every story goes, there's just one guy there that would put on Black Sabbath records, you know, and everybody else was kind of like, eh. <laughs> the irony about that is, is that would be us. Right. We would Absolutely. be that guy. Absolutely. I just thought it was funny. He's weird. He just comes in and puts on random albums. The other day he put on Sabotage. Nobody said a word. I mean, it's a killer album, but, you know, 
Yeah, when you think about those 70s parties, it's like, hmm, what kind of riffraff were in the Sabbath back then? My father-in-law. Right. (laughs) Everybody trying to get away from the flowers. Right. What I meant to say was. Not what I meant to say it was. Eh? Nothing. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, brain fart moment. Uh, uh, By the way, hello, guys, and thank you so much for covering Black Sabbath. They've been a huge influence on Creator. And and by the way, we're going to be at at Barnacle's uh, Fish Grill this Sunday. Uh, the show starts at five. It's an afternoon show. There's no alcohol. But uh, anyway, black back back no to black alcohol. Sabbath. We, we got to take the shows we can get. Me and Louie are still doing investigation. I, I'm sorry. Look, I'm trying to start my pasta delivery you know, business. I was, I was trying to be nice and let you get in on Just, this a little bit, and, uh, and then you say you're playing a gig uh, with no alcohol. Uh, look, I, I'll work on it. I'm going back to the couch. I got to make some phone calls. You got a new album coming out, right? Uh, I'll go back to the couch. I'll come back to you guys. <laughs> No, actually, yeah, Bill, we do. It's a it's a demo. We went in the studio, and uh, we're gonna do a, a small uh, a bar tour in the metro area. But uh, <laughs> metro but, yeah, Atlanta got, bar tour. We got a new demo coming out uh, this summer, so you can check it out. It's a, a creator. Yeah. Anyway, back to, back 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 to you guys. Sorry, it's cool. All right then. Let's well. dig into the Sabbath, the wicked world of the Sabbath. These guys look so like going back, looking at them back then. I I have to say this real quick, just while it's on my mind. So I don't know if anybody else out there knew this. I didn't know this until five minutes ago. Apparently there is a Black Sabbath cartoon. And I had the pleasure to watch this a few minutes ago. And it's perhaps one of the most insane things I think I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're out there in the internet land, go YouTube. Yeah. If you like Black Sabbath and Scooby-Doo, it's right up your alley. (laughs) Black (laughs) Doo. Scooby Sabbath. Scooby Sabbath sounds a little more kid friendly. Yeah, it's better than Black Doo for sure. <laughs> Scooby Sabbath, Black Doo. <laughs> Anywho, what are you looking at there, Bill? The ad that uh, Ozzy puts in Ozzy Zig needs gig and he has his own PA. Ozzy Zig, huh? Yeah, that's what it said. I read Ozzy's autobiography. I can't remember where the Zig came from, but I think he was trying to like sound like tough or original or something like that. Like Ziggy Stardust? That's very tough. Yeah, I guess that yeah. would have made sense back then. But that would have been like at the cusp of like the Earth stuff, though, right? That was even, or was that? Yeah, it was right the, before that. Okay, yeah. so that was the very beginning then. Yep. Polka Tolk Blues Band? Yep. Yeah, definitely <laughs> a shit name for I sure. Didn't, I didn't like that one. Earth was way better named than that, and, for sure. And he hated that one, for sure, they said. Yeah, Earth definitely, the irony is, you know, there is a doom metal band, kind of. They're like, they're maybe more like drone. Uh, they're called Earth, and they actually have like a real slow, droning, stoner kind of stuff. It's just ironic that Black Sabbath was originally called Earth, and yeah. now there's actually a band called Earth. Did you guys know that that Omi um, went to uh, play with, with uh, Jethro Tull? Yeah. Yeah, yep. I didn't know that. Yep, that's crazy. That was in his autobiography too. He was just talking about how it just never felt. It, it was just, it was yeah. just odd. It's like, nah, this just isn't right. Yeah, I had that down here too. That was like towards the end of '68. I yeah. just like that picture of a uh, Iomi because he's got a, a strat, strat, <laughs> and probably what's I would say uh, quite a bit of stuff in his system floating around. You think? Based on that smirky look. Yeah, I just kind of put Good together times. a. Uh, I went a little different route. I just put together a list of anybody that ever had anything to do with Sabbath. Comes up to 37 different musicians. Wow. Oh, wow. Well. That's not including the. Yeah. It's like the Kevin Bacon. Yeah. (laughs) So there's like 37 different people that have 
played live with them or in the studio or else. Well, yeah, I mean, they did have like different, like the keyboard players. They had uh, Don, Don Airy and Jeff Nichols, and they usually played like Waiting in the Wings. They never, I don't think they played with them on stage. Jeff Nichols might have later in the Heaven and Hell era, like that that time frame. Yeah, at some point, Jeff Nichols actually became an uh, official member. Yeah. I think so. he, oops, concussion blast. <laughs> I, I think he was actually listed on Seven Star as a member, right? How about that? Oh, my God. Okay. Not, Terrence. That is the most, uh, I think the only word I can use to describe it is flouncy picture of Geezer flouncy. Butler I've ever seen. Flouncy. Take that as you will, but the word is flouncy. He looks like, I don't even know if I could say what it looks like, but it looks like Probably he's. Probably shouldn't. <laughs> it looks like whatever it is that he's really enjoying it and he's trying to tell everyone how much he enjoys it. He looks, what he's he looks doing. really open right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's rocking out. Uh, yeah, he's definitely open. What's up with those shoes, man? It looks like something out of the Paul Stanley stage collection or something. Yeah, I don't know. Or Superman Wonder Woman shoes. Anyway, that's a. That's a hell of a picture. I could caption that, but I will not. But he looks like he's having a really good time. They must have been playing. Uh, that must have been more of that 412 of uh, <coughs> came. Oh, yeah. I think we could say that. I don't think we have to worry about being censored about. <laughs> but there was a story. Apparently, when Black Sabbath was recording Volume 4, first of all, they, they wanted to call the album Cocaine. Or snow, I think they wanted to call it Snowblind, Snow and they blind. wanted to call it Cocaine, because yeah. I know they were like Snow big blind, yeah. and Cocaine. But they were literally getting 4x12 guitar cabinets, which if you guys out there are musicians, you know how big those are, filled with that white stuff delivered to their studios. I mean, talk about rock and roll excess. Anyway, it looks like uh, Terrence Geezer Butler in this picture snorted at least half a cabinet's worth, and that's why he looks the way he does in this picture. Anyway, we love you, Geezer. Sabbath wouldn't be the same without you. Nope. But that picture is uh, not not something that people can see. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say this. Fairies wear boots. And we're moving on. There, yeah, there you go. It's pretty accurate. Yes, they do. Sabbath, the history. I mean, it's it's like. It's a weird history because when they started out, they were obviously small and they were doing shows here and there. But like they would write their stuff. Like a lot of the riffs and stuff came from like jamming. So like they'd have their songs written, but then they'd get up and like do extended suites that's like the stuff they would do like in right. the morning like that whole big you know sleeping village and all that that extended suite they started doing more of that and then they would develop because that's how paranoid came about parent it sounded like they did them kind of like what pantera did when they went from cowboys to vulgar like they were riding on tour and putting shit together and yeah. doing new stuff so they were constantly just adding the jamming element to it and then they started getting more and more shows and they toured the hell out of the first album, and then the second one, you know, Paranoid just blew them up. And yeah, months later, right? Yeah. It, yeah, I think yeah. it was in the same year, because it was both yeah, 1970s. Yeah, back then, bands would put... It was nothing for a band to put two albums out a year, sometimes yeah. three. I mean, it just cycled them in and out so fast. Yeah. Keep which the is, product. Which is ironic, because today it's like it takes, what, two years to record one hit single? It's like, what the hell takes so long? You set up a couple microphones and hit record. And back then they had even less. I, I think Black Sabbath is always recorded like in the same room, as opposed to like isolating a lot of their parts. And I've I've heard about more and more bands doing that, but I think Sabbath's always kind of done that, where they'll all play in one room, which is kind of cool. Probably captures more of the vibe. Yeah, you're jamming and stuff. That's the way I prefer to do it. Yeah, but, you know, doesn't always work out logistically. No. <laughs> and speaking of uh, keyboard players, I know Don Airy played on. Planet Caravan, and I know he played on Air Dance, which was on Never Say Die. 
I always really liked his piano playing. It was definitely more jazzy, but it, I think it kind of gave Sabbath... That's what was so exciting about Sabbath, the fact that they kind of utilized some of those jazz elements and really made it part of metal, you know? Oh, yeah. Because some of the riffs and the phrasings and stuff, I mean, that you weren't really hearing that before, but then they took the darker stuff and then they threw some of that. I guess almost sort of like a early version of Helmet, if you think about it. Yeah. Because Helmet was like that. I mean, yeah, they kind of right. blended yeah. like the hardcore stuff with like jazz stuff, you know, but Sabbath kind of did the same. It was like they took the rock riffs and then added some of that jazz element for the weirdness and... It was its own thing, for yeah. sure. But I always yeah. thought Don Airy was amazing. Don Airy. Never Say Die. Did a bunch of stuff with Deep Purple and Ozzy Priest, White Snake. He was mostly a session guy, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, even Helix, Fastway, UFO. But he he tickles a, the keys just awesomely, for sure. Go Brian, in there and get it done. Brian May? Oh, wow. You didn't know that? I did not know that. Yeah, he played on uh, Headless Cross. Guitar <laughs> solo. I, I taught you something that. new about Sabbath. You did teach me something new about I Sabbath. Love that our day is complete. <laughs> it's a landmark day here on Metal Notary. Matt learned something new about Black Sabbath that he didn't know before. It's unbelievable. I knew there was one time I think Tony Iommi did some benefit thing with Brian May, and they were like playing together. But I didn't know that about the solos on Headless Cross. It's quite fascinating. Trying to see who else he performed with. Cozy, ah, the Cozy Powell connection because he was in like the later 80s stuff. Cozy Powell was in like everything. <laughs> he was an insanely good drummer, too, man. That, he was kind of underrated, I think, because I mean, he was he was a big name for sure. Yeah, I, uh, it's just kind of interesting to me. Uh, a lot of these, the people that were in and out of Sabbath over the years interconnected in other projects. Like, there's a lot of people from Rainbow that made it into Sabbath. Well, you got to figure that's a community. Uh, Deep I mean, Purple. It's a community that's all together, so it's like those people are tangentially related to other people. Yes, I Tan used a big word. Tangentially? Tangentially. Actually, I just changed this. Tangentially. Tangentially. <laughs> Sounds like something you get yeah, on the I'm side of Yeah, I'm just going to let pizza. you keep that one. I don't yeah. know if that's real or not. Uh, yeah, like a pepperoni pizza with a side of ten ten tangentially. <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> tangentially. Well, they had a lot of lineup changes also in the 80s. Like, it started, I guess, with Dio, but then it was like the 80s were just like a revolving door. Yeah, that's kind of where like, a lot of people would say that Sabbath died when Ozzy left it. I was always like, nah, I like the Dio stuff. But yeah. then I guess I was kind of guilty of that, too, because it's like after the Dio stuff, I was kind of like, never, yeah. I never explored it. So going back and looking up a lot of this stuff, I started listening to a lot of it. There's, like, there's like some vibe. good, I mean, it, yeah, it's, I don't. I think up to like Born Again could be called Sabbath. I stopped after Mop Rules. Yeah. Born Again was like the Sabbath lineup with Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. <laughs> yeah, apparently there were always some jokes about, you know, calling them Deep Sabbath or <laughs> Black Purple. It's like, it's like, come on, let's stop with the ridiculous meshing <laughs> but, up of the names. But it's like, you, but it's if true. you go through that point, I can see calling it Sabbath because it's the same difference as having Dio is still Tony and Geezer. Yeah, the core Bill base Ward. was there. But, like, after that album, it's like it was just a wholesale change and it was just Iomi. Mm. So it's like at that point, yeah, maybe call it something else. Well, right? and hence the reason he was wanting to make Seven yeah, Star was, Solo album. Yeah, he was wanting to do something. He didn't want it to be Sabbath. Yeah. But they were like, no, we got to sell albums. So. Bricks. <laughs> it's all about money for you guys, isn't it? But there, I mean, there were a lot in the 80s. And, of course, with the 90s, they kind of started moving. You know, in 92, they had the um, Dehumanizer with, uh, yeah. with Dio, which was like the whole Mob Rules. The Mob Rules back. That was really cool. That was a good and, album. Yeah. And then <clears throat> I think in like 95, Forbidden came out, which was like back to the Tony Martin, Cozy Powell, 
you know, the the 80s slash 90s Sabbath. And then, of course, in like the late 90s, they had that reunion album, the live album. So, And then after that, I think they've been pretty homogenous between either like the whole Dio Heaven and Hell thing or the Ozzy thing. Yeah. And that's it. So now it's like no more real new stuff. I mean, they put out 13 back in, in 2013, actually. I know. And, I saw that. I was like, geez, it's been that yeah, long already. It's yeah. Wow. Freaking time's too fast. Yeah, it is. But that album, I mean, I don't know what it is about Rick Rubin. I think he must be like a, he must be it. He is the wizard, I'm thinking, because that album, it has that same energy as like the first album. Well, yeah, that's what one thing I it's read. It's like a was, ninja that way. I don't yeah. know how he does it. One thing I read was Rick Rubin came in there and they were like, all right, we got these song ideas. And, and he was like, no, just turn your amps on and jam. And they're like, no, we don't really do that. I mean, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so he made him actually jam. Yeah. Which, which was, was probably huge yeah oh yeah they were because uh, they weren't used to doing that anymore they've been doing it so long and they were like you know i got a song you got a song he's got a song we'll just put these songs together and right. rick rubin's like no you're gonna make some new shit right now so and that album's impressive too i don't know if you've heard it i mean it's, it's sadly i really haven't it, yeah, but so. it, it, it kind of <laughs> sounds like you could hear it sonically like it would come like after like the first almost like if they put out you know never say die and then technical ecstasy or vice versa and then vice they were versa. like and then all of a sudden they had like one of those moments where they go out and do like a Metallica St. Anger therapy thing. And then they come <laughs> back and instead of putting out a turd like St. Anger, they put out something like 13. Hmm. St. Anger's not a turd. I just had to use that for the analogy. But it sounds like it could have come in sequence like during that, those first important albums. Right. But the songwriting is stellar. I mean, it's, it's all, everything about it is very similar to those albums. It has that feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Rick Rubin's a genius because it's like he just somehow he gets the band to find that little sweet creative spot that just you know i don't know if he also uses you know the drug tracker to try and you know keep that in check so it's like okay on this album you did all these drugs you need to do the exact same regimen for this one so you can replicate exactly the same energy i don't think he did that but i mean it's like the way he produced it there were so many elements that were just back to like even that first album like the bluesy thing the harmonica thing i mean anyway 13 i thought was a really cool way to kind of tied up with a bow right yeah i need to listen to it yeah i got the expanded version I had like an extra disc with like extra four songs on it like scar <laughs> you know uh, a yes. drummer from rage against the machine slash audio slave yeah. played drums on it yeah so. he did a hell of a job man yeah. it sounds solid and you gotta know that's gotta be that dude's life's dream i mean can you imagine getting to play with those three dudes no man no, I can't. I can't imagine <laughs> no, standing no. in a room with those no. fucking three dudes. I mean, I'd be like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. But to be in a band with them on stage and touring, I mean. Well, he didn't tour with them. They had another guy came no, in. No, he was just session, session. Yeah, the guy that, still, uh, yeah, this guy did the tour. Tony, Tony Lafitos. He played with uh, Rob Zombie, John Five. Did some time with the Nuge. The Nuge. Teddy Nuge. Some uh, Cooper, but. Uh, yeah, he was the uh, so he was the touring tour drummer. drummer. But the the session guy, the Rage guy, he's solid though. I mean, no, everything I mean, he, he played was, was excellent. That whole album was just stellar. And they even ended it with the same thunder and the bells from like the first one that right. came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was really cool because they kind of wrapped it up and just like made it. It was like it was a complete thought. It was so cool. Just yeah. I thought the way they ended it. Nice. That is cool. I didn't know that. Terry Chimes. Hmm? I got to know about Terry Chimes. I knew Ray Gillum was in for a while. Yeah. Terry Chimes, he was a drummer for uh, The Clash. Performed on those Sabbath releases. So was he like a... Oh, he was a tour guy. Okay. Yeah, he did some time with Hanoi Rocks and Billy Idol. Different stuff. 
Interesting. He was brought in to replace Bev Bevan when he refused to play shows in South Africa during the part-time. Wow. Interesting. Video for The Shining. For... Wow, I'd never heard of that name before. Ever. No, I thought it was pretty interesting. He told me something else I didn't know about Black that way. I knew what I came, man. Ouch. You're very violent over there. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, what is that he doing to his microphone? That sounds like sound assault over there. <laughs> I was going to say the Eternal Idol album. There's a version, you know, Tony Martin did the vocals on it. Yeah. And of course, Ray Gillum was in Black Sabbath, kind of between Seven Star and Eternal Idol, so like 86, 87. But there's like an outtake, like the whole album, it's basically demos, but it's that whole album, all those songs with Ray Gillum's vocals. Yeah, I saw that they'd put that out. I'd it's like really to, cool. I'd like to listen to it. I mean, the production's not as crisp, obviously, as like the final product, but I mean... There's a lot of vocal melodies that Tony Martin kind of went with and kind of adopted into his stuff. But if I'm being honest, Ray Gillen said it way better. Ray Gillen had a more, I don't know, not to tell you, I read something about Tony Martin that said he was kind of like Dio Light. I've kind of heard that. But Ray Gillen had a very organic kind of. He had such a natural voice. I mean, he sounded awesome with Badlands, but it's like. And that was probably really more his speed because, I mean, if, if you listen to his style, he's, he had more of a. He's, dead now that's why i have to say had but he had more of like a bluesy kind of style but with the sabbath stuff it was almost more like this i don't want to say prog rock or operatic but i mean it was that kind of power it was a different vibe than badland for sure but he, he was a good fit for it i thought i thought actually it made it impressive enough to where that could have brought sabbath back a little more mainstream even hmm. like that was the kind of singer that ray gillen was i mean he just right. had a solid voice but it was a good fit for the music but that version is the Eternal Idol sounds really cool. Though. Yeah, I want to hear it. It's, I need it's to quite to it. quality. Well, side note about Gillen, he uh, I didn't realize he was going to go after he left Sabbath. He was going to go do Blue Murder with John Sykes. Yeah, that was so weird. And it too. didn't work out because John Sykes decided I'm going to sing. It's like I've been under David Coverdale's shadow for too long. I'm going to be on the spotlight now, damn it! But you know that worked out because we got Badland. Up That's true. It his voice wouldn't have worked with Blue Murder, I don't think. It, it definitely works better with Sabbath than it would have with Blue Murder. But Ray Gillen's voice is definitely the voice of Badlands, for sure. Bob Daisley, he did some time with Ozzy, I think. Yeah, done a lot of time with on, a lot of people. On the bus. God, there's so many names I did not even know. Seems like everybody that's been associated with Ozzy, or not Ozzy, well, they did a lot of Ozzy, too, but it seems like everybody that, a lot of the people that came in and out of Sabbath had done time in Rainbow for some reason. Well, Rainbow's yeah. touched a lot because Dio and um, Jimmy Bain, I think, used to play together in Rainbow. I think but there was like Cowboys guys I'd never Rainbow. heard of that came out of Rainbow. Kind of some of those in-between periods in Sabbath would come in, play some bass tracks in the studio. They wouldn't last, but, you know, it's just kind of weird. I, I guess it's inevitable that that whole community kind of thing comes together because you get people that... I mean, naturally, you're going to get people that you're connected to. It's like, you know, when I play with this bloke on this album over here, he's a good bloke. You better hire him for this album. You know, you just kind of know that. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that they would all kind of rotate around the same orbit. Right. But it is funny how that kind of evolves that way, you know, that all those people just kind of get part of this little organic thing and just sort of grow along with it. And there's some, man, there, dude, there's some names I'm not even recognizing here. Former Sabbath members. I was trying to think of another uh, band that would be a... One, one person that I thought was pretty interesting, Dave Spitz. Yes. Actually, older brother of Anthrax guitarist, Dan Spitz. Yeah. <laughs> he was on Seventh Star. Which, by the way, was recorded in Atlanta at Cheshire Sound, which later became, was it called the Fury Studios or something? I thought it was Cheshire Sound when we were there. Was it? I don't I, know. I don't know. 
But I think it was Cheshire Sound when uh, Black Sabbath recorded Seven Star there. So we were in the same room that Tony Iommi played guitar and probably even yeah. farted in. <laughs> just to know I was just to know I was in the presence of Tony Iommi's fart air. Fart to me, like a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Shoulda, and we scene. go. <laughs> yeah. We go in that studio, and these the guys that it's like our first time in the studio, and these guys they pretty much told us they'd never really done metal or whatever. But we started playing our stuff for them. They really liked us. They were like, you, know, you, you guys kind of have a little bit different vibe to you or whatever. And they started telling us about different people that had recorded there over the years in that room. And Sabbath came up, and that dude right there. I thought I was gonna like jizz myself. I was like, "Holy shit! Are you serious? <laughs> they recorded here?" Yeah. And immediately, it was like the energy of the whole session just took a escalation point. Right. I, was yeah. like, I was like, I was like, Matt gets to record guitar in the same room Tony Iommi did. You know, yeah. that's like it was pretty damn cool. It was yeah, such yeah. an experience. It's just, it's just cool just to know that it's like you know I've been in the presence of greatness, <laughs> even though I've never seen it. I've smelled it. <laughs> I was the presence of Tony Homie's fart. I smelled his greatness. Huh. <laughs> oh, I've got a new riff idea. A new riff idea. That's all it takes. Just that one. I kind of wonder if, if he got to the 80s and, you know, when he started having like the revolving door of members, if he was just kind of like, oh, I guess I'm stuck doing this now. I guess I got to just keep this going. Because you got to know that it had to be hard to keep doing it when you don't have a. Because it's fun to play with different people in a band, but then if you're trying to keep flying the flag and you're constantly got people coming in and out, and you're the only original guy. That's got to be tough. That's got to be like keeping the business afloat when nothing's happening. Because that was a weak time for them, the 80s, like yeah. particularly after about 83 when Born Again came out. Right. It was just kind of just went down in the well, I mean, even really through the, well, the 90s. Kind of through too. the 90s. Yeah. You know? I mean, Dehumanizer was like the little slip yeah. on the radar, and Cause, that was about it. Ozzy goes solo. Ozzy's solo career was like, you know, flying mm. high. <laughs> Again. And uh, <laughs> so it's like he was just kind of on this upward, upward trajectory. Trajectory. Yeah, that word. And Sabbath was like, they, 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 they never really went anywhere, but they were. It's like if you wanted to know what Sabbath was doing, you had to go look, you know what I they mean? They kind of leveled like, off in the 80s, though. I mean, the, the whole, because the music wasn't, I mean, there was melody to it, and it was still like his riffs and stuff, but. It got more keyboardsy and it definitely got a little more melodic. It wasn't quite as riffy. I mean, it was still Tony Iommi, you know, the well, riff god masters riffs, but it wasn't the same feel. It was almost like a popped out version of Sabbath. Well, the whole genre of music changed anyway. That's you know true. what I mean? In the 80s? Well, the 90s was bad too, but yeah, in the 80s for the. I mean, from the weird. 80s, from the 70s to the 80s, there was a big. Oh, yeah. Big, huge change. But they went a through. A big, huge one. Yeah, big, huge big, one. Hugely big. Big. <laughs> big. Well, it's like we were kind of talking earlier, like the uh, the sound of Sabbath in the seventies. You know, we were talking about what if modern Tony Iommi had Dimebag's guitar sound. He was like, I don't, I don't, don't think it would have worked because the reason Sabbath worked in the seventies is because it was so organic sounding. What I mean, it was, it was well, it had that it had that darkness to it. Like I can't listen to Black Sabbath, especially those first six albums, without thinking about like kind of shag carpeting and like wood paneled walls, also known as suicide paneling. Yeah, is that what it is? That's what I heard. Is that because people would do that when they'd see it? or I don't know. I grew up around it. I'm still here, so I don't know. But I just, <laughs> I, I can't listen to Sabbath without thinking about that wood paneling wall stuff. For some reason, it, it just does that to me. I think of Sabbath, I think of the fall, I think of wood paneling. Orange shag carpet. Yeah. And then I think about the intro to uh, Master of Reality. And that's pretty much it, in a nutshell. That's Sabbath. 
But yeah, you gotta have the wood panel wall, suicide wall. Well, it's kind of like the transitioning between decades. You know, it was like seventies had that organic type of sound, and they went with started out of the eighties with Dio, and it kind of went a little more rock and roll. Yeah, but it but it it worked because it still had a nice natural. Kind of. Would, would you say it kind of had some of those elements of like Rainbow even musically? Yeah. Well, that's one thing I read was like, you know, when Dio came in there, was it was it Black Sabbath with Dio or was it Dio with Black well, Sabbath backing? You know, because, Oh, the whole ego thing? Well, not the ego, but just the sound of it. Because, I mean, I mean, really, those two albums with Dio almost sounded more like what the Dio solo albums would become yeah. than what Sabbath used to sound right. like. But that's more lyrically you know? in, in his vocal melodies, though, which he can't help I'm just talking about the say. riffing and everything, yeah. too. It was... I think, there was more straight a, I think there might have been more of a rainbow because I know Dio does write some of the music or he writes a lot of the music. Yeah, I know he, he writes all he the plays. vocal melodies. But I'm sure that because I'm sure Tony had the riff ideas covered for all the Dio era of Sabbath stuff. I think we can all agree on that. But then I wonder if they might have collaborated because sometimes, you know, I mean, hell, Dio wrote the guitar riff to Rainbow in the Dark, which is a kind of a basic riff. It's not too basic, but you got to wonder maybe if he and Tony Iommi collaborated on something. I'm sure, yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't. But even Heaven and Hell is kind of like, what's so interesting about that is that sort of is like a rebirth of Black Sabbath. Because that came out in 1980, so a decade to the day. And it was completely different. It would almost be like trying to imagine, all right, what would Pantera sound like? You know, they were the band of the 90s, right? So what if suddenly they got a new singer? Of course, they tried to do the damage plant thing and then start the 2000s and sound like a completely different band. That's kind of what Black Sabbath did. Yeah. Because they were still Black Sabbath, but they were a completely different band with Dio than they were with oh, Ozzy. Yeah. 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 Neon Knights with Ozzy would. Well, it was part of the way weird. Ozzy sang, too, because he was very much lockstep with the guitar, whereas Dio would do different vocal melodies and yeah. kind of go in and out. Yeah. I'm making hand gestures as I do that. Y'all can't see that. I'm trying to, the hands. Plus, the, the, the times were changing as well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and you got to yeah. try to keep up with right. what everybody else is. Not that you're trying to be like everybody else, but there's the the sound is moving a certain way. Yeah. So everybody's, you know, like I I don't know, they're picking it up, they're listening to it right, and then you know eventually you start you start playing like that. Yeah, because the '80s, I think when the '80s came around, it was things were getting a little more like straight ahead rocking kind of, you know, it just well that kind of paved the way towards how metal became even the mid '80s moving forward, you know, and all well the whole metal explosion, but. Like the, I think the Sabbath stuff almost took on sort of a maybe a little more proggy with the Dio yeah, era. Yeah, I mean not overly so like Dream Theater style proggy, but kind of that element because I think it had that fantasy rainbow element. I've never really heard much of the Elf stuff, but yeah. I've heard the Rainbow stuff, so I know how that is. So I, I think Dio just naturally brings that to whatever music he's. I with, think sure. Dio is uh, kind of like an unstoppable force. Yeah. yeah. And whatever Dio does just freaking sounds like Dio because right. he's freaking Dio. That's right. <laughs> I mean, Dio could have sang on Cowboys from Hill and it still would have sounded like, it would have sounded like Pantera with Dio front. Right. He would have been front in. You know, it sounds like Pantera with uh, Dio That would have been interesting. <laughs> Ronnie James it's Pantera. Ronnie James Pantera. Oh, well. <laughs> Cowboys from Hell. <laughs> Cowboys from Heaven and Hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> the new hit single. <laughs> Cowboys yeah, from Heaven and Hell. Talking about the times changed and everything, though, I think, you know, they were trying to find their way. You know, it, things in the mid-late 80s got metal, sort of got poppy-ish. So I think 
some, some of their the, stuff did for sure. Some of that Tony Martin era stuff, definitely a lot, a lot more keyboards. It it was like a pop filter almost. It's, well, not like these pop filters, but I mean, it was just like it was just it was kind of like a declawed Black Sabbath. Yeah, that sounds mm. about right. And the riffs weren't even really. De- I mean, he still had some good. I mean, I'm not going to knock Tony on these riffs. He is the riff god. Period. But some of them were just there wasn't teeth to it. It just kind of you know, like if you go back and listen to the first six or even any of the Dio era stuff, those riffs have balls, man. And and yeah. even a lot of them do, but not like that. But then all that '80s and '90s stuff has started kind of getting into. I think Dehumanizer was kind of the beginning of getting their balls back. Yeah, the Dehumanizer kind of kicked it back a little bit, pretty much straight up. Well, it gave, it, gave it the infusion it needed because it was they were kind of in you know. They were not in a good way for a while. No, not at all. Not very good. <laughs> Can't believe you guys are still talking about 80s era Sabbath. I think we're going to go on a tour with them. I'm going to call, call Tony Alamy up, see what he's doing. See if he wants to come over. You know, hang out. You know, Maybe go do some shows or something. I don't know. He's the, he's the master. You going to play guitar for him? Uh, you know, I, I might roadie for him. I don't, I don't play to me. You know, I play with creative. I'm really kind of dedicated to that. And I, I love that the most. It's my passion, but, but I, I still might help him out, you know, like, like be part of the back line or, or something, you know, maybe could go get his picks for him. I, I don't know. Maybe his thimbles. I, I'll, I'll clean his thimbles. I'll clean out his thimbles. All the, all the, the finger jam and stuff that gets in there when he plays. I'll clean those out. I'll do it on the tour bus before we get back on the road. I, I've, wait, I've said too much. Anyway, back to the couch. I'm sorry. Why do we got to call it volume four? We didn't have volume one, two, or three. Yeah, that's a good question. It's because you can't call an album a drug, <laughs> which I believe they wanted to do with volume four. Yep, yep. I swear I read well, at somewhere that point, they wanted to call it cocaine. Like, they literally wanted to call it the drug. And it's like, no, you can't do that. Well, for crying out loud, uh, Eric Clapton had a song. Why couldn't Sabbath, of all people, if they wanted to call an album cocaine, call it cocaine. <laughs> Crap cares. It's like, well, he's just got a song called cocaine. They want to call their whole album that. That's insane. It's all about the dollar. Well, it's yeah, it's just true. like uh, with yeah. Paranoid, they wanted to call War Pigs. Well, they but, wanted to call it Walpurgis, which is like some kind of weird... Uh, with like witches sabbath kind of black mass crazy something like that but walpurgis i know they were gonna call war pigs that originally but i think they wanted to call the album that walpurgis but i think uh, everybody would have been cryptic. like what yeah i think i think they thought oh, people are gonna know what the hell that is so i think the dude on the cover was supposed to be dressed up like that or be like a war pig yeah. or something yep, and then yep. turn weird when they called it paranoid because i always thought what the hell is up with that album yeah, cover uh, from what i read even the band was like what the right they didn't like it either yeah, what yeah. The? <laughs> but it's it's so ironic because i mean album covers in the 70s had their own kind of weird thing going on anyway absolutely but the fact that that kind of has that weird myth about it it's like you know well, this is what we were originally going to do it came out of this but yeah, that's one of those albums. Like the cover makes no sense at all. It's like, what the hell am I looking at? That's that's, that's the great a, thing about some of that stuff, though. It's like it just crap happens because it happens between the band and the record label and this management and that management, and nobody really even knows. And they just go with it, and then then people start coming up with all kind of uh, mythology, you know, that to describe it, and then none of it means anything right you yeah. know what i mean it's, dude there's probably like people out there that have fan pages dedicated to that or something it's so crazy to think that that's the second album yeah. i mean in, in the same year i know i mean the sound of the two are so different and you know this you know paranoid so put together it and, is and i mean relative to the first Sabbath, it's a but, different it's a different album yeah, for sure but i mean and they're both badass but i mean wow that just what's going on on paranoid is 
It's insane, man. Well, they took it a step further because I'm paranoid. You had like Planet Caravan and like the Don Airy, you know, keyboards and pianos at the end, and then of course you had like the back to the instrumental breaks, like in War Pigs, and of course Paranoid was like a throwaway song that was like right. a last minute yeah. thing, which I think is funny as hell because now it's like Ozzy's probably like, okay, gotta got play Paranoid again for the nine hundred million fucking time. I'm gonna kiss Sharon when she gets back from the tour. It's like I mean. Because that's a simple song and it's a rocking song, but it's like the fact that it was thrown together and they're like, oh shit, now we got to play this all the time. Yeah. <sighs> well, that's back to our previous conversation about Pantera. Primal Concrete Sledge was the very last thing. Seriously? They just, they, they just slapped it together in the studio. Really? Yeah, evidently, Vinny had like a just a crazy drum pattern. He tuned his drums all kind of crazy and there. He's going to come up with something. Holy crap. So it was just like a slap together thing at the end of the. Huh. Oh, that's Session. insane. But anyway, that's Pantera. Never mind. Actually, no, never mind is Nirvana. But never mind, Shut never up. mind. Sorry. I forget, I forget who that lovely publication was who made uh Anyway. But the, the bass and the drums on, I mean. Those are, so, I, I mean, mean, as much as I love. it together, man. Yeah. As much as I love Iomi yeah. and the, the god of metal guitar. Yeah. Listening to Geezer and Bill Ward. Yeah. But you know what, though? Yeah. With, with them, I, I love Bill Ward's drumming. Oh, there, yeah. Man. It was just. It's ridiculous. I think I you go back. I think he had a big influence on Reed Mullen from COC. Really? Yeah, because if you, I mean, you go back and listen to the old COC. It's kind of more crossover metal, punk, whatever. But like, you start hitting like uh, Blind, uh, blah, Wise blah, Blood, that album. Blind, Wise Blood, and uh, what was the one in between? Um, Deliverance. 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 Yeah. The ones that I always describe those albums as like a Southern Fried Sabbath. Yes, it was kind of like Skinner yeah. and Sabbath You're screwed right. and yeah. kind of made a little. It's probably like the made a little evil baby, you know. Yeah, yeah. But if you go back and listen <laughs> to a lot baby. of the drumming on those, especially Wise Blood, it's you can heal. You can hear Bill Ward. You can heal. You can heal by the sound of your drums. <laughs> by the sound of these drums beating against that, you can heal. Bill Ward will heal you. <laughs> Feel the power of Bill Ward heal you from your crippledom. <laughs> but yeah, Bill, anything anyway. to say? Well, but yeah. they filled space though. The thing about Sabbath that's interesting because Geezer was not a traditional bass player by any stretch of the imagination. He was busy. I mean, if you listen to him play, oh man, big time. But he was playing in a weird way, like with the drums and the guitar, but also like counterpoint to the drums and the guitar. Yeah. But the way they all played, it was like they made it sound a whole lot bigger than just three dudes playing guitar playing music mm -hmm. and that's kind of what gave them that edge i think is because like when they were locked like sent to the universe that song just fucking rocks and oh, it's yeah. just balls out and it's just da, 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 da. i mean it's like early thrash for early sure thrash, yeah. and it's just lockstep but then you listen to the other stuff like the more atmospheric stuff like planet caravan or even like electric funeral that song's got a lot going on and it sounds fucking huge but mm -hmm. it's like there's these multifaceted like bass parts and the drum parts there's just so much going on. It's it's very dynamic, but it really, really makes them sound bigger. Well, yeah, because that's, I mean, a lot of, because coming from what their influences were, they, you know, our influences were metal, basically. Yep. But they were like the first metal band. So, you know, Bill Ward's influences were jazz drummers. And, right. You know, stuff like that. A totally different kind of playing style. And you can hear that in his drums because he's just, he's always bouncing around doing off kilter stuff. Really cool feel. But you know what's weird, though? You can hear it more back then just in terms of the production quality was different, obviously. But he was doing a lot of crazy, like, drum, like, jazzy drum shit. 
But then if you listen, because he played on that reunion album in 98, the live album, mm-hmm. and kind of like with Peter Chris, it's like he, he just didn't hit as hard. Mm-hmm. And for me, a drummer, that, that kind of sets the tone of the band, because if you're a drummer that doesn't hit as hard as like another drummer, it can affect the dynamic of the music. And those those first Sabbath albums sounded great. Yeah. But then live, it was like hearing that, of course, that was also, what, 28 years later, I guess, after the first album, when Reunion came out. But there just it wasn't the same intensity, and it kind of took something away from it for me. Two of my favorites, favorite parts on on Paranoid are um, on Iron Man and Fairies Wear Boots, where there's a, a break and it's, and it's just the drummer, and he's just you know he's just boom 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 boom, like, you right. know whatever it is on yeah. on either yep. song. But yep. I mean, it's like crank it, man, because here here it fucking comes, and it's badass. <laughs> you know what's so yep. weird about yep. that? That always puts me in one of those head spaces. Like when I hear like when I hear that specifically, like as soon as you did that, I was like, I knew exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But it brings. To me, it puts me in that whole shag carpeting and the wood paneling kind of headspace. You know, well, I agree. So. That's as I've gotten older, I've kind of gotten to where I appreciate the production of '70s rock albums yeah. more because we we came up with all the high gain. Every you know the the Pantera, yeah. everything's crisp, clean, freaking spotless. Yeah, they had to improvise. But back then, everything was. I hate to keep saying the term organic. I mean, everything was it's a lot accurate. more raw. You know what I mean? It's like real people playing real instruments. Yeah, they they didn't have all this computer crap to f- to fix things or make things sound better or all this that and the other. And like you go back and listen to stuff like that, like the old Sabbath, you know, and you you're listening to Bill Ward back there doing the drums, and it's almost like you're sitting in the rehearsal room because the drums don't yeah. sound overproduced. You know what I mean? They sound yeah. like drums. Yeah. But, but but those albums and like back you're then, sitting there watching the dude play the drums, and it's freaking cool. They have that they have that effect. I've noticed that too. Like if you go back and listen, especially like those first six Sabbath albums, but even any album like from the seventies. If you put it on like on a good stereo, it sounds like you're in the room listening to him play. Right, yeah. right. It, it's almost like a weird transcendental trippy kind of what the hell is going on? Yeah, but it's not it's like, like you're, you're listening there. to this highly produced thing. You know, it's, right. it's like it's natural. It's very it's natural. Very natural. Uh, yeah, it has a very very natural sound to it. It's very good. Yeah, very very. It's very good for sure. <laughs> very very good. I, th- I think I read somewhere one time that um, Tony Ami was playing and. I don't know if one of like speaker cones on his cabinet like busted, and of course back then that was how they could get more distortion right. was to actually yep. rip out the speaker cone and like the four by twelve to make yeah. it like I guess fart more or like distort more. Yeah, the kinks used to do that. They would actually buy a speaker cabinet and then slit the speakers oh, wow. to get it to distort. Yeah, and of course if you remember the kinks had that kind of real yep. raw, yeah, yeah. raunchy kind of sound. But yeah. I, I think Sabbath did that at one point. I'm not sure when, but I, I feel like I read that somewhere. He was talking about it. And he said, "All right, well if it works." That's cool. It's funny because a lot of people rip on um, Sabotage and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, but those, those are some are both great albums. badass albums, man. I, I, Especially Sabotage, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess I have a south soft spot for Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I just, I remember getting the tape when I was a kid, and you know, you're riding around doing errands with your parents or whatever, you know, and I'm at that age where I don't want to go in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So Let's they would, the we'd go around and they'd go into the store, do whatever. And I'd be, I'd sit in a car and listen to that tape just over and over and over again, yeah. you know, just digesting it. It's yeah. like just freaking awesome. Yeah. I could be perfectly happy doing that. Like, yeah, y'all go do whatever you want. I'm just going to sit here and listen to music. Right. Drain your battery. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of when they started to change a little bit too. 
with the well they got more to me that's kind of their more Beatlesy era because they got into the more like the orchestration especially Sabbath Bloody Sabbath right yeah like Spiral Architect I mean there's yeah. a lot of like symphonic really cool shit going on in that track and even mm-hmm. the rest of the album but they kind of because those first four were solid just like a punch yeah. to the gut almost like Pantera just like regimented just you know we're gonna kick your ass you know just all the way through and then they're they all in a that. group too right those, those first four are absolutely right the first four you but, know what I mean? but once right. you get to like sabbath bloody sabbath and forward there's more of that orchestral yeah. quality well they kind of got more experimental but how could you not yeah i mean they've pretty much proven with those first four we, we've left our mark we've dominated you know the what will become metal with these first four albums now we're going to go off on a little tangent yeah so i guess we could call that maybe their load era in a way that might be a little uh, better than that. yeah, yeah i yeah. think you're yeah. right sorry yeah. Yeah. maybe the next two would yeah i guess the, i guess the load era would be more like technical ecstasy and never say die although yeah. i like never say die a lot I thought it was yeah. A good album. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I did not like technical ecstasy I don't, I, well, she's gone is probably like the only thing I really, really like on that album. Yeah, I don't remember a lot. I mean, I absolutely had it and played it, but I don't remember a lot of it. Like, I mean, I wore the first first five or six out. It was I mean, more rock and rollish. Like, it wasn't yeah, it was. really. It did yeah. not sound like Black Sabbath. Yeah. In fact, if you do not, the only way you would know it was Black Sabbath, listen to that album is is Ozzy's vocals. That's really it because the riffs were just like. Oh God! Is that really? That's Black Sabbath. I think I think he almost left the band at that point. Too. Yeah, I think he was almost like, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. That's just that. And it was. I think it was one of the first times they didn't um, you know, get the Billboard whatever you know, yeah. or or sell you know. But so if you many. listen to it, it's just it just has that sort of. Almost like they're phoning it in, like, ugh, i got to make another album. Jesus, what now? <laughs> it didn't seem as deep and... It was very shallow, and, I guess. And dark as, or, uh, as as the other ones, you know what I mean? Well, not it as edgy. It was more that whole yeah. rock and roll-y yeah. kind of thing. Rock and roll doctor? Come on, just <laughs> suck. I'm going to go with a lot of drugs for 500, Alex. It's like, look, let's go back with the drug tracker. <laughs> Whatever you guys took on technical ecstasy, don't ever take that shit again, ever. You can't do it. Well, I'm sure it was a build-up, right? <laughs> yeah, build-up of everything else, and it's like, okay. I need a break. Uh, we we did only mushrooms when we did Seven Bloody Savage. So, Instead know. of taking a break, let's put out an album. <laughs> let's put out an album and do more drugs. But yeah, whatever drugs they took on uh, technical ecstasy, definitely got out. I think Ozzy was checked in at a, at a place for a little bit of that. He time. was out. Of, I remember he was out of commission. I think after he got kicked out of Sabbath, I think he kind of just went into hermit mode for a while, and I think it. It took Sharon to kind of get him off his ass to get out there, and that's how he ended up getting fun to Randy Rhodes. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. And that was kind of a weird story because it's like he'd been fired from Sabbath. He'd been in Sabbath at this point, what, eight years or nine years even, and then it was just like suddenly he's got nothing. And then she starts pushing him to do more, and then he goes out and finds you know, fucking Randy Rhodes. It's like, you know who he wanted wow. before Randy? You know who his initial pick was? Before Randy Rhodes? Who? Gary Moore. Really? Yeah. I hear him name checked a lot, but I never really heard his playing much. He's he's good. I mean he did he did some time at Then Lizzie. Okay, so he's and got he's, the chops, he's, but he's, he's not done Randy a lot Rhodes. of solo stuff, but yeah, not totally to- he's more of like a I guess you call him like a blues shredder, if that makes any sense. Well Randy but. Rhodes was kind of the beginning of the whole like neoclassical thing. I mean, that was even pre 
I mean, I guess Ying Wei was probably doing Steeler or something or whatever other Alcatraz and that too. <laughs> but I mean, that was kind of the beginning of like the whole neoclassical. Because I still, not to go off on a tangent, but I still wonder though if Randy Rhodes hadn't died, if he might have passed Eddie Van Halen in the popularity contest. Guitar God Pantheon. Right. Well, that was kind of the two schools of thought back then. It was either you were Rhodes fan or Van Halen fan, which, mm. which. I'm fans of both for sure because they're both amazing guitar players, but Randy Rhodes was special. And what's interesting is if you go back and listen to, you know, I realize I say what's interesting a lot. That's interesting. I don't have to say Hmm, what's interesting. interesting. So it's interesting that I say that's interesting a lot, but I don't think it's interesting that I keep saying that's interesting a lot. So I'm going to stop saying things are interesting. Anyway, I'm starting to get bored. (laughs) I'm making a point. Shut the fuck up. So my point is interesting enough. Wait, now I think I forgot my point. <laughs> so concerned about being interesting. Oh, yeah. but like if you listen to Randy Rhodes' tone, looking back, it, it kind of I kind of see almost how it's sort of like that early Black Sabbath tone, but like with you know I don't I don't know if you understand what I'm I saying. I'm not gonna lie to you. His early rhythm tone, I didn't like the recorded tone. Yeah, oh. talking about Tony or Randy? Randy. Really? It had that kind of weird razory kind yeah, of, just, but not in a good way, like a Pantera kind of way. His solo tone was great, but I don't know. The rhythm was just... I don't think we got to hear the right tone for Randy until Tribute came out. Because that was live. I mean, you could hear his rhythm and his solo tone. But, I mean, apparently he played those old marshals that you had to actually, like, crank the shit out of him to make him to drive him. The kind where it's like, you know, call my neighbors 20 miles away, tell them to turn up the marshals. Like, they were that kind of loud. But it's like you had to turn up the... But anyway, that's what he played through. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, that was a tangent about... Randy and Rhodes. his guitar had polka dots. Yeah, it did. Sure was pretty. <laughs> yeah, Randy Rhodes had a fancy-looking guitar. <laughs> Gotta wonder about that boy. What's up with them polka dots? <laughs> that ain't too metal, Randy, but we still love you. Kind of weird, though, son. We're watching after you. Let's go down the list of other attendees here. Some of these are weird. Ron Keel? Yeah. Was in Sabbath on vocals? Nah, he, he went in and... Uh... Oh, after Young Gillen left. Yeah, he never really. I think he went and did some rehearsals with him and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> he also formed Steeler and had Ingve Dick Malmsteen on guitar. <laughs> <from these two. laughs> you like that? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Hi, yeah. I'm Dick Malmsteen. <laughs> Come to the law firm of Dick and Malmsteen. I think. I think. Fortunately for us, Ron Keel didn't make the Sabbath. Cut. Yeah, that would be a shh. Chate version of Black Sabbath, I think. Evidently, in later years, he went on to... Uh, Country Rock? He portrayed Ronnie Dunn in a Brooks and Dunn tribute band. Oh, no. So, there's that. You know what? I don't even know if I ever want to listen to, to Keel now. Just just knowing that <laughs> little fact. Keeping it alive. I feel, uh, I feel kind of dirty after reading that. Feeling dirty. Craig Gruba? He's a bass player. Nobody cares about them. Uh, he was, uh, I think, Dude, he looks of like Elf he, and Rainbow. He looks like he could be in sleep. Doesn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Or High on Fire. Let's see, there you go. There's Gary Moore again. I got to go listen to some. I've heard Gary Moore name checked a lot, but I've never heard his stuff. I just can't imagine Gary Moore with Ozzy instead of Randy Rhodes. That's just a weird, strange combo. Dave Donato? There was one here. I'm betting Dave Donato probably. I think I had him in the kitchen once before. He makes pretty decent marinara. He's a good guy. Yeah, they brought him after uh, killed it. Ron killed it. He did Six some rehearsing months. and uh, wrote some stuff. Well, something you got to remember too about musician stuff, and regardless if you're a singer or, or play an instrument, 
it still comes back to chemistry. And if you got to figure you had, you know, a long-term relationship with Ozzy, and then you had a pretty brief sort of rebound relationship maybe with Dio, and whatever the hell it was with Ian Gillen, I guess that was just like a weird threesome or something, or like a phase. But you got to figure if you're going to be in a band, there's got to be that chemistry. So imagine how frustrating it's going to be if you try to get into it, and you think there's chemistry, and you try and start writing, and it's like, ugh, this is going yeah. nowhere. This guy was interesting to me, Jeff Finholt. Uh, Hold on, did scroll, some, scroll back up real quick so you can see his face. He looks like a smarmy. He, he looks like he might have Evey <laughs> syndrome. He, he looks like he's like, hello, I'm Jeff Finholt, and I'm a smarmy dick. Yeah, he did some pre-production on Seventh Star, but evidently he was he, his his original claim to fame was uh, he was Jesus in the original Jesus Christ Superstar. Wow. And then after that, he. He kind of had a fairly successful Christian music career slash televangelist guy. Wow. Which is a weird fit for somebody that was trying to be in Black Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. For a band that ironically did an album called Born Again. Right. And he's a born again Christian. Oh, uh, back to Dave Donato. His other claim to fame was he was in a band with Mark St. John. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a part-time member of Kiss at one point. Uh, they were White they, Tiger. White Tiger, along with White Lion and White Snake and Great White and White Zombie. And White Zombie. Sensing yeah. a theme here. Yeah. Very monochromatic. So, Not sure I'm digging it. Yeah, yeah. Mark St. John was just kind of a. That's weird. So that's weird to think in a weird, strange way that Kiss is linked to. Well, there it is too. To Sabbath, Eric Singer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, drums. exactly. Because now he's Peter Chris. What do you mean he's Peter Chris? <laughs> no, he's the drummer with the Peter Chris makeup. Stupid. It's different. Peter Chris from Kiss had his name legally changed, by the way. Uh, yeah. Rob Halford did uh, like three live shows. With- that would have been badass to uh, see. Yeah, I would have uh, loved to fucking see Back that. in 92, Sabbath was supposed to open for Ozzy. I guess that was during one of those Ozfest things or something. But Dio's like, I'm not opening for him. Yeah. That'd, so, be, that'd be killer, man, to see, like, Halford singing and Naomi playing. That'd yeah, so Halford came ass. in, did those two shows, and then uh, I guess Ozzy, yeah, Ozzy had some bronchitis in 2004, so he filled in for Ozzy. Well, I know he did show. some of those, uh, wow. um, what was it, the tribute stuff, those tribute Sabbath albums? I yeah. know, was it the Bullring Brummy stuff, I think? Yeah, yep. Yeah, Halford sang on that. Actually, it was kind of a cool combo. I think looking back... Halford would have been really interesting as a singer in Black Sabbath, even in the seventies. Yeah, it yeah, wouldn't would have been, been. It wouldn't have been bad for sure. It would have been quality, I think. Oh yeah, he's Here's got a, some pipes. Interesting uh, one Shannon for, for fellow Black nerds. Sabbath? He he did it because remember Mike Borden was uh, playing some shows. Well, he wore, even worked more with Ozzy, right? I didn't think he played with Sabbath. Yeah, Borden was m- more with Ozzy, but okay. I guess he he did some. Uh, well, they touring. did the Ozfest stuff too, where Sabbath did some heading shows, I think. So yeah, but then he. He had to fill in for Mike Borden for one show, but you know, obviously, Wrathchild America sells a zero. That's just crazy that those are connected now. I, I had no I idea. I found a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, of course, the uh, the the uh, most odd one was Ice T. <laughs> you gotta love Ice T. Yo, this is Ice T. Check out my upcoming episode of SVU Law and Order. Well, his his guitar player produced Forbidden. Oh yeah, ninety five. Well, he had a vocal track, I think. Ernie on, uh, C. I think he had a vocal track on the Inner Power, I think the first track, which was weird because it was like, okay, Black yeah, Sabbath jumps the shark. Well, from what I've read, even uh, the guys that were in Sabbath at the time talk about that album, and they're like, <laughs> I, I wonder if that was one of those I where they were like, so I don't know. It, eh, it it has its moments. I mean, I 
I'm kind of like you, like with the blazer or maiden stuff. It's kind of like I gotta have it just because I like Sabbath, but it's right. like it's not. That's kind of one of those. Yeah, I'll put it out every now and then. It's like <laughs> it's like if your kid brings home like some artwork and they normally draw stellar artwork, and then they bring home something that looks like like it should just be shredded and thrown in the garbage in front of their face. <laughs> and you're like, don't ever bring me artwork Damn that looks it, like man. this again. Well, that that's what that album is in terms of Black Sabbath. Sorry, guys. It it is what it is, but it's definitely not a. It's not one you get fired up about. So I'm sure that was one of those ones where they were like, Ugh, time to make the record. Let's go into the studio, boys. That sucks. Uh, one interesting one was uh, Rick Wakeman. Mm-hmm. He played did, on did uh, some uh, keyboards. And then his on, son. On son, really? Yeah. Yeah. Adam Wakeman. I think Rick Wakeman played on, uh, was it uh, Who Are You? The Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I think he played the keyboards for that. Because I think Yes was actually recording like right next door to him. He's like, hey man, can we come over and actually like, you know, play some keyboards on a Sabbath album? And the guys in Sabbath were like, sure, come on over. Play some keyboards on a Sabbath album. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's the name of our band. Right. Okay. Anyway. There's some other names on there. Gerald Jez Woodroff. Jez. Oh, technical ecstasy. That's all you got to say about it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I guess technical ecstasy is like the Celtic Frost of Black Sabbath albums. <laughs> That's the one where you like just you put it on play. I'm going to go take a piss. <laughs> just doesn't matter. I put that on for background noise. <laughs> yeah. Got the sound of flashing. Yeah, that guy did some stuff. Uh, it was on the first Robert Plant solo album. I wonder if that was the one with Big Log on Along it. The one with... Uh, Big log, you say? <laughs> I can't. Don't think about rubber playing. That think, one stuck out in your mind. Right? It always does. Not the stuck way out think. somewhere. <laughs> Certainly big. It's a big log. Not a log in the method, no, in the way you think I mean. It's like big corn. <laughs> Joe Burt. That's a name. Of, I, I guess they did have a pretty regular string of bass players, too. That looks 80s. Oh, yeah. He did some stuff with Freddie Mercury, Brian hmm. Setzer. So let's see. I wonder what the commonality is there. I guess probably the Queen connection, because that guy was probably connected. In terms of trying to figure out how all these folks are connected, like I yeah. wonder if that dude's. Yeah, Roger Taylor too. was Queen too, right? Yeah. So there's always there's in all of these. There's the uh, Kevin Bacon the degree of six separation. De- six degrees yeah. of Kevin Bacon. Did you so how many members did you say again? You said it was thirty. Uh, beside the uh, besides. The core. Your main four, there was 37 other guys. Wow. That, at, at least, probably. Yeah, there's there's probably some in here that came and went so fast that right. you yeah. don't even know. But That's crazy. I mean, that is a ton of folks. But anyway. If you had to pick your favorite Sabbath album to leave people with, what, what would you have to offer? I feel like I'm a toss-up between the first one and volume <laughs> four. It's a real... <clears throat> Yeah, clincher for me. That first one. It is depends just on the mood I'm in. But, it, those, but those two, any, I mean, any of the first six, obviously. But it's yeah. like the first one in Volume Four to me, or just it's always a clincher I'm, between those two. I might be right with you, but I might have to add um, Sabotage. Agreed. Because it, um, if I'm going to play any of them, it's going to be one of those three. Well, that one's got a little more punchy production on it too, so yeah. it's got that more balls out, like the Center of the Universe stuff yeah. or the Rent. You know, all that. Thrill of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I like all those songs. Superstar. I like all those songs. You know, it's a little bit different of a Sabbath. 
Oh, yeah. Versus one and four. To me, it's almost like a darker version of the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath sound. Right. Like taking that sound and making it more punchy. Because Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath wasn't really a... There were heavy moments, but it wasn't the same level of like heavy maybe as like Sabbath. Darkness. Right. So if I'm not... if. If I'm not in a as upbeat mood, then it'll be it'll be one or four. Yeah. So if you're more upbeat than sabotage. Yeah. Adam, mm-hmm. your choice picks. I guess if you're just gonna start somebody off from scratch, start them with the beginning. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's that's a hard one to I like that. Obviously, like you said, four is great, and I mean it's it's hard to choose really. Yeah. <laughs> it is with hard those to choose. with those first albums, it's. But uh, there's so much, so much. Sabbath like I goodness. said before, I kind of got a soft spot for Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath for some reason. So yeah, I just that one clicked with me. I don't know. That was kind of like the culmination, I guess, of everything they'd already done, like bringing it all together. But there's not a there's, I can't think of a bad song on. No, I mean, it's, you know what I mean on any, any of those. Of those. No. Yeah. no, no. But then once you get to Technolexy, it's like. Eh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, it's a catalog where, like, you know, if some you just general you know where where should i start with sabbath it'd be like any of the ones with ozzy except technical okay that's weird (laughs) (laughs) that's what it sounds like when it snakes on the microphone y'all snakey Alrighty then Alrighty then is it time to nerd out i guess so that was kind of a that was a very bounce around non-chronological discussion of Sabbath but it was kind of cool yeah absolutely <laughs> I enjoyed it very much enjoyed it I taught Mr. Sabbath a couple things you yeah, didn't know it's always yeah. nice to learn new things that's right makes me feel smarter so, I don't feel like Aussie sounds so in the in the end the summation all I can say is listen to Sabbath <laughs> amen enjoy the metal nerd out see ya this is Metal Nerdery. It's Metal Nerdery. Y'all are listening to Metal Nerdery. Oh my god, I can't believe it. It's fucking Metal Nerdery. Hi, this is Millie Petroza, and you're listening to Bill, Adam, and Matt. This is fake obvious, Osborne. <laughs> and you're listening to Metal Nerdery. Metal <laughs> Nerdery.